You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. Today, we are joined by Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas. Congressman Cuellar, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much and a happy new year to you. You too. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today. There's so much news to talk about, uh, especially on the issue of border security. Um, your district stretches from San Antonio to the U.S.-Mexico border, so you are intimately involved in uh, not only the everyday lives of what's happening on the border, but also the political discussion as well. But I want to start with uh, some tragedy that happened over the weekend. Uh, there was were people crossing the Rio Grande River where a woman and two children drowned. Uh, you say that the state of Texas is responsible for their death. Why? Well, certainly they bear responsibility along with uh, other um, uh, entities, and I'll explain that. First of all, I'll talk about the state, but it's also important that we the administration gets rid of this pull factor, that is why people are coming over here, number one. Number two, the Mexicans can do a lot more in securing their southern border with Guatemala. I mean, there's a reason why we were seeing 10 to 12,000 people a day back in December. Now it's 2,800, 3,100 people a day. And then finally, the, uh, the migrants have to take responsibility. You cannot put your kids in a very dangerous situation. Now, going back to the state, when the state kicked out the Border Patrol they told, uh, that at that Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, they kicked out all the Border Patrol agents, they removed their equipment, and by equipment, Border Patrol had what we call scope trucks and other monitoring equipment, which means with those scope trucks, they could see what was happening on the Mexican riverbanks, what was happening in the river, and what was happening on this side. So with those eyes, they lost that surveillance and therefore they didn't know what was happening at that time. Now, when the Texas military, they're, act, they're acting under Title 32, uh, uh, under the governor, not Title 10 under the president. When they went in, kicked out Border Patrol, they took what we call under the military, control and command. They're in charge of that responsibility. And of course, now the state has said, oh, we didn't know what happened. We were notified afterwards. But if you're going to take control and command, any military officer will tell you that you are in charge and you're responsible for that particular area where they kicked out the very own agency that's authorized under, under federal law to enforce immigration laws. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, Shelby Park and Eagle Pass. Those are two areas where migrants have been coming to cross the border. Shelby Park is in your district. Eagle Pass is in the neighboring district. Um, but what I'm getting at is that what I'm hearing from you is that there is this tension between the federal government and the state of Texas over who controls the border and when. Um, uh, Governor Abbott passed Texas or Operation Lone Star a couple years ago, where he said that the that Texas was going to control the border. Is this a result of of 
kind of the confusion and the miscommunication that happens when there are two entities trying to control the border? Well, I think the Supreme Court back uh, 10 years ago under the Arizona case has already said that it is the federal government and under a federal statute, the Border Patrol that is supposed to be taking care of the border. They arrest people that are here illegally. They provide assistance when people uh, might be drowning or maybe dying of thirst, depending where they're coming across. So it's a federal government. And I understand the governor and and other folks, including myself, were frustrated by this open type of borders that we're seeing right now. But even the Supreme Court under the Arizona case 10 years ago said no matter how frustrated Arizona was at that time, it still belongs, that responsibility belongs to the federal government. I want to see the state of Texas, I want to see the governor work with us uh, with the federal border patrol, coordinate, communicate. But when you're doing things solo and saying, I'm standing up to President Biden and not being part of a team effort, then I think that's a disservice uh, to you know the efforts to try to find a solution on how we secure the border. They went in, kicked out border patrol. They didn't even tell uh, the local mayor or the local officials that were doing it. They just went in Lone Ranger style and are saying that they're in charge of the border. And unfortunately, as you know, the cease and desist letter that got sent, uh, the attorney general said they're not going to pay attention to it. So I think it's going to be up to the Supreme Court, and they want to test this again. They probably feel that with the new majority at the Supreme Court, they might come up with something different from 10 years ago when Arizona tested uh, that question. In Washington Post coverage of this story of the migrant deaths, uh, the drownings, the woman and the two children that we're referencing here, uh, it quoted an official from the Texas Department of Public, of Public Safety that said, uh, migrant drownings, while tragic, they're, quote, nothing new. Do you think that the situation and what Texas is doing on the border is making it more dangerous for migrants crossing the border? And is there a lack of empathy and concern for the health and well-being for people who are trying to cross? When you say, you know, a drowning is nothing new, and I think in FY22, the last numbers we saw, there were about 800 people that died in the U.S. People do die. But just to say it's nothing new or when a state official says, I would shoot people if I would be charged with murder and we know who said that. You know, I don't think that's what we ought to be saying. We ought to be saying, how do we work together? You know, when I was in the state legislature, I used to do the, I was the chairman of the subcommittee on the budget for DPS. And they are good men and women that want to do the right thing. And I think what we ought to do, get those good men and women from the state uh, to work with our border patrol agents, with our ICE agents, and figure out how can we better provide security at the border instead of doing their own things. For example, uh, we saw what the Fifth Circuit said about the buoys. You know, the governor said, oh, I'm going to secure the border, so I'm going to put these buoys in the middle of the river. Those buoys are a quarter of a mile, less than a quarter of a mile long, less than a quarter of a mile long for a river that's 1,200 miles long. So those buoys, a lot of publicity. It's Right now it's at the Fifth, fifth Circuit, probably going up to the Supreme Court. 
a lot of publicity, but that less than a quarter of a mile that you're going to secure a, a border that's 1,200 miles, it's like putting a postage stamp in the middle of a football field and say, hey, stop that running back from uh, scoring a touchdown. So what I'm saying is, instead of doing things solo, communicate, coordinate, and we can work together, the state and the local government. We've been talking a lot about the tensions between Texas and the federal government, but I want to move directly to the federal government. Um, there was a record number of border crossings in more than two decades, just in the last month, of 225,000 people um, who uh, who encounter who who approached the border, I should say. Um, what does the Biden administration need to do? They have to make sure there is a consequence when people come to the border. You're right. Look, uh, I think last year, FY23, the numbers that I've seen, uh, we had about 2.5 million encounters by CBP and migrants, 2.5. We estimate there were about 600,000 getaways. That's 3.1 million individuals. Out of that, uh, some were deported, less than I think about 300,000 were deported or self-returned. Uh, they were willing to get, get returned. 300,000 got paroled, about 300,000 got paroled. That's more than the 600,000 people a year that I'm trying to put on. H-2B visas or H-2A visas, the legal right, uh, legal way of, of getting people to come and work over here. And then we added uh, over a million, I think a million and a half, to the immigration courts that are so overloaded. So the first thing uh, uh, I would tell the president if I was advising him, we got to show the consequences at the border, because as long as people think that all they have to do is touch the border and then they can come into the U.S., which is happening, then people are going to continue to come. Now, keep in mind, uh, President Obama did not change the law, did not use Title 42, but he was better able to secure the border by just enforcing the law, which was Title 8 expedited removal. So you got to have those consequences at the border. Is, are those consequences, is that expedited removal? Is that uh, a, a rejection at the border, um, the remain in Mexico policy that Republicans are demanding in any sort of uh, border, border package that is sent to the president? Well, some of those ideas like third country transit were actually ideas that I try to add in appropriations uh, even before Trump started talking about that. Uh, you know, because you got to understand if somebody's coming from a country, let's say in Africa or in the Middle East or somewhere, and they're saying, I'm escaping because I'm fearful of my life. And then they go through country A, country B, country C, country D. Their fear is gone, but apparently they want to come to the U.S. because this is the Chinese city uh, on, the, uh, on the hill. So, you know, there are certain things that I think we can do. And the president has the power to do certain things right now. I know like that what? he's waiting for, well, for example, can he do a, a, a third country transit, which I think he's trying to do some of that? Yes. Can he do a state in Mexico? Yes, he can certainly do that. I think the fear that the Democrats were saying about stay in Mexico, they said, oh, it's too dangerous. Well, first of all, keep in mind, keep in mind 
that you can use the UN High Commission of Refugees to take care of folks there while they're waiting. And in fact, if you look at it, while those people are waiting to get paroled into the U.S. and using App One, guess what they're doing? They're staying in Mexico right now. They are staying in Mexico waiting to get a hearing on their App One. So we're already doing that. We're just not calling it that right now. So there's a lot of things that the president can do. Um, call it by another name, but he's doing some things that some people have done in the past. Okay, so currently there's also negotiations happening in the Senate, as you very well know, about border security. And to remind our viewers, this is tied to broader funding to aid Ukraine, Israel, uh, protect the Indo-Pacific from China. Uh, this border security component is essential uh, for the rest of it to get passed. Um, the parameters right now that they are talking about, changes to the asylum law make it more difficult uh, for asylum seekers to come to the U or to get into the U.S. And changes to the parole system, uh, which is a system where uh, migrants are given temporary access into the United States. Um, do you think that the what they're talking about now, based on what you've heard from these senators, is something that would work? Uh, it would be helpful, but I got to emphasize, President Obama, Secretary Johnson did not have Title 42, did not change the law, and they were able to do certain things. But let's go back to what the Senate is doing. Uh, and again, nobody's seen the text. Uh, and I know that I believe Speaker Johnson and some of the other Republican leadership said, we reject uh, what the Senate deal is going to be. I haven't seen the text. I don't think they've seen the text, uh, number one. Number two, uh, uh, they said, well, we're, we're not going to do a Senate, uh, I mean, a border deal till President Trump gets reelected. I mean, if there's a crisis, we ought to be doing it now. So I think we can do that. But going to the two issues that I think the Senate is looking at, policy changes. And I think money in the right places is important. Uh, I'll talk about money first. Should we put money in the operational capacity, which means detain and deport? Yes, because right now the money in the operational capacity of Homeland doesn't have the money and it's overwhelmed and therefore there's more people coming in and more catch and release, number one. But on the policy part of it, right now keep in mind that most of the people coming in are coming in for economic reasons. And I hear that when they're interviewed at the border. I'm coming here because I, uh, I want a job, or I want a better life and all that. Economic reasons. Asylum is very clear. Asylum law is very clear. It's got to be based on race, nationality, religion, political, or social class. If you're afraid because of crime somewhere else, doesn't qualify you. If you're looking for a job, doesn't qualify you, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's got to be those five. The problem is too many people get in at the very beginning, and then when they wait four, five, six years to go in front of an immigration judge, 87% are going to be rejected because they don't qualify under those five items that I mentioned. So should we adjust that criteria at the very beginning, not at the end, but at the beginning? Yes. Parole, let's look at parole. We had about 300,000 people that got paroled in. That doesn't include the other catch and release, 300,000. In Homeland, I've been working on the H-2B visas, uh, H-2A, H-2B is, is a temporary worker for 
60,000 a year. And we fight over that every year, 60,000. But parole, uh, or we had over 300,000 and not catching the, and not include the, uh, the 1.5. So should we look at putting a cap uh, or maybe looking at more uh, the parole, the way it's been done in the past on a case-to-case -case basis instead of blanket parole? Yes, I think we do need to look at something like that. Uh, something that's not involved in these discussions is uh, what to do with uh, the 11 million people who are currently in the U.S. undocumented. Uh, for the past several decades, any sort of discussion about border security has always been coupled with the 11 million undocumented, um, but that is not the case this time. Uh, is that acceptable? You know, I, I want to do full immigration reform, which covers three things, border security, uh, some sort of temporary worker uh, process, and what do we do about the 11 or 12 million people, maybe even more now, uh, that are here in the U.S., whether we regularize them or do a pathway, we can talk about that. That's what I would love to do if I had the little red button uh, uh, and, and do that. But unfortunately, it can't. The Republicans will tell you, uh, and I remember under President Bush, he said, give me 600 miles of fencing, and then we will do border security. I mean, then we will talk about immigration. We built 600 plus miles of fencing, and I think Trump added another 54 miles or so. And we still, they keep moving the goalposts uh, over because they want to say, secure the border, secure the border before we talk about a guest worker plan, before we talk about DACA, before we talk about DREAMers, before we talk about full comprehensive immigration reform. So uh, it's very difficult to do full immigration reform uh, because there is a party that keeps saying, give us border security, and then we'll talk about immigration reform. Mm -hmm. Would President, uh, President Trump be better at handling the border than President Biden? Um, I think that President Biden can do it. Uh, he was the vice president under President Obama. Uh, Secretary Mallorca worked under Secretary Johnson. The tools are there. I know they always say the immigration system is broken, but with all due respect, immigration reform is one thing. Border security is another thing. You got to put the monies in the right places. Operational capacity, which includes, some Democrats don't want to talk about it, but it includes detention and deportation. That is what happened under Secretary Jay Johnson. I think the work can be done uh, under President Biden, but we got to have the fortitude uh, to get that done. And for my Democrats, you know, I always say this, it's okay to talk about border security. Democrats at times don't want to talk about border security. We as Democrats can talk about border security and still be respectful of immigrants' rights. Uh, speaking of that, if the Senate does come to some sort of agreement on a bill, like we mentioned, it's going to make it, uh, it would probably make it harder to get into the United States. There is no discussion about a path to citizenship or residency for, for immigrants. Uh, do you think that Democrats would be willing to support this in the House of Representatives? We always talk about Republicans demanding more, but the Democrats are still a question, too. What are you telling your colleagues uh, should this uh, come up for a vote? 
Well, you know, first of all, uh, let me talk about how we see things at the border. I live at the border, and we always smile when a new president comes in. We either feel that they go too much to the left or too much to the right. We felt that President Trump went too far to the right, don't let anybody in, put a Muslim ban, a bill, border wall, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then we have President Biden that some of us feel that he's just letting too many people in at one time. Uh, and we always want to look at that more moderate type of approach because the border is more than just immigration. Uh, the border with Mexico is a very dynamic area where every year, last year we had $863 billion of trade, our number one trading partner. That's over $1.5 million every single minute. You have trade, legitimate trade and tourism, that's very important to border communities. And a lot of us want to talk about trade and tourism. But unfortunately, illegal migration is what brings the topic, and we have to find that balance. So whatever we do as Democrats, we have to have a position. We have a position on immigration, but we need to have a position on border security, sensible border security. And I think that if people just look at the way, and I always see, he probably is getting tired of me mentioning his name, but Secretary Johnson, I think, did it very well. He found that balance. He didn't create new laws, didn't ask for new laws, didn't ask for Title 42, didn't ask for this. He used Title 8 expedital removal. You put money in the operational capacity, detain and deport the ones that are not supposed to be here. Do you think that the border is a reason that some that Hispanics, the Hispanic community along the border, generally speaking, is moving more to the right, more toward Republicans? If you notice, I was shaking my head before you finished mm -hmm. your question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, um, I have a, a district that's almost 80 percent Hispanic, uh, mainly Democrats. And uh, the last few years, I've seen people that have been Democrats, lifelong Democrats, that are not saying we're going to vote for Trump, uh, we're going to vote for a Republican, because they feel that this issue of open borders uh, is affecting them. If you're a landowner, you certainly know what happens in those lands where people are crossing and, and sometimes causing damage. Uh, uh, as they cross the, uh, the, the fences there. Uh, if you are a border community, you know, what New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Colorado, and other places are seeing now, we've been experiencing this for so many years, so many years. And now, you know, too many migrants, because New York and Chicago and, and Washington, D.C. are complaining, we've been saying this for so many years. So, yes. Do I see a shift of some Democrats, uh, South Texans, border folks because of this issue? Absolutely. And more broadly around the country, do you think that this is a political liability for President Biden? Uh, Texas is probably not going to be a battleground state for President Biden in 2024, but uh, there are there are other battleground states um, where this is seems to be an issue. Uh, uh, Nevada. Uh, Michigan, et cetera. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an issue that the president uh, needs to look at if 
if he's looking at the same polls uh, that I've been seeing, it's definitely an issue on the handling. Uh, they trust the Republicans more than Democrats on border security. Uh, and it's certainly it's an issue that the president, and I think it's to his benefit that he addressed this issue as soon as possible. And if, you know, if Congress is not willing to do the supplemental, which I hope we do a supplemental, uh, then we need to put the, the monies in the right places in, uh, in the homeland appropriation so we can address that issue. But if we don't take this away, it's going to become an issue. I'll, I'll point out something. My friend Tom Garcia, who's running for that special election in New York, look at the ads that are running against him by the NRCC. Immigration, open borders, illegals, killing people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're running this uh, border plate uh, type of uh, ad on immigration. They're going to do the same thing to the president. Yeah. Um I want to ask you one other thing about Governor Abbott. He is busing migrants primarily to three cities, uh, Denver, Chicago, and New York, all with Democratic mayors. Um, do you agree with his tactic? And can Texas sustain uh, absorbing all of the migrants uh, if, those, if people aren't sent elsewhere? Um. You know, I, I don't know where he got that idea, but I can tell you the first time I heard this idea, it came in from my mayor in Laredo, the former mayor, Pete Sines, called me up and said, hey, we're getting migrants that are being buzzed from, you know, from uh, the valley. At that time, the valley was pretty uh, hot activity. And he says, I'm going to be busing some of these people to Dallas and Houston. And he did that for a while to the mayor in Houston. My, uh, my friend Sylvester Turner said, hey, don't send me any more migrants. So we saw that even a, uh, in Laredo before Abbott. And again, I don't know where he got this idea, but I can say that the mayor of Laredo was doing that. So even folks in South Texas were already doing this. So, you know, uh, Governor Abbott, I, I, I don't know, you know, I can't read his mind, but he certainly is trying to make a point saying, hey, if you call yourself a sanctuary city or you're open to this, we're going to send you this migrants. And he's doing that. Now, he gets credit for a lot of those people going in. But keep in mind, most of those people are already going there. Either they're taking their own buses or they're flying. When I fly from Laredo, sometimes a quarter of the plane is full of migrants uh, mm -hmm. that are flying in from Laredo. Uh, and the buses also. So they're already doing that. But Abbott is riding that surf and getting credit for all those migrants, but most of those migrants are going there either on, on their own or they're non-for-profits or paying for those expenses. And, and what's interesting is in the old days, when I first saw this, when they would be at the bus stations in Laredo, they would be there calling family members and saying, hey, can you send me a bus ticket? They would sleep overnight at the bus station. And then the next day they would take the first bus out of Laredo. They had family members. Now we're getting people from Venezuela, from Ecuador, uh, from Colombia, uh, from so many other places that don't have family members. So they can't get on the phone and call a family member uh, most of the time. And therefore, it's going to be up to those local communities to provide housing, food, et cetera, et cetera, for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the past two cycles, election cycles, progressives have worked to defeat you. Um, you are one of the more moderate, most moderate members in, among House Democrats. 
you are uh, you enjoy you support abortion restrictions. This time, though, you don't have a primary challenger yet. Have you repaired that relationship with progressives? They spent twenty million dollars against me uh, when um, they could have spent that money to uh, get more Democrats elected, but you know they didn't agree with my policy. But the voters had that um, uh, that position, uh, you know, where they uh, got me back again. Um, so again, I've always been open, and I've always said I've told my progressives, if you look at what the word progressive means, progressive means you're open to ideas. The problem with some of these activist progressives, they're not open to other ideas. They're open to their ideas. Uh, so I, as a moderate, I don't go after progressives. I don't attack them. I might disagree with them, but it's not my job to purify the Democratic Party like they were trying to purify the Democratic Party and say, you got to be a progressive uh, to be a member of the Democratic Party. So. Uh, after $20 million in the primaries of the two election cycle, uh, here we are, and I will continue doing my work uh, for my congressional district and whatever I can do as the ranking member uh, for Homeland Appropriations on Border Security. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Congressman, we are out of time. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Representative Henry Cuellar, Democrat of Texas. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.